0: Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of June 9th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 10. We continue our look, our journey through this book, this Gospel that has given us a glimpse of who Christ is and the life He is calling us to. As we get to our passage this morning, we're going to be in verse 13. And the verses that the we're going to see Jesus making some comments in regards to ministry to children and holding them up. And last week, we dealt with a difficult passage as we walked through Jesus' teaching on divorce. But the, today, we're going to continue looking at this passage and see that Jesus talks about some ministry to children. So Mark chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading, and then we're going to jump to another passage real quick, but I want to read this first. So Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. They were, bringing him, they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever loves, or whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Children are needed and are a vital part of the ministry of the church. There are different ways we talk about this. It could be signs of life. I don't know about you, but you hear the children running around. You hear laughter. You hear the noise. You hear the chatter. All that stuff. I don't know about you, but to me, that's a cool sound. Because the opposite of that is, well, silence. I tell you what, I do not want churches to be filled with silence. Now, you know, there's, there's a time to be silent and to worship. There's a time to be reverent. Not saying that. But the sound of children means there is life in a church. I love the sound of children. We want that. Children are part of a church or need to be part of a church because they are signs of life. And they're a sign that a church is being obedient to the call that God has placed upon the church. I want to. Just real briefly, take you to the book of Judges, and you may be thinking yourself, "What does the book of Judges have to do with the book of Mark?" And more importantly, what does the book of Judges have to do with Jesus talking about children? There are two verses that kind of bookend the beginning and ending of the book of Judges. And just a uh, just a brief note here: the book of Judges takes place immediately following the life of Joshua, the people of Israel through. The ministry, the leadership of Joshua, have conquered the Promised Land. They have taken control militarily and culturally, so to speak, over all of what we now know today as modern-day Israel. And yet, after these great years of military conquest, after these generations of seeing God do things, in Judges chapter two we have a a description of the state of Israel following Joshua's death. And in Judges chapter two, verse ten, it says this. All that generation, this is Joshua's generation, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which He had done for Israel. Now just imagine, we we could just pause right there, just imagine what that means. A generation of great soldiers, if you will, a generation of great workers, a generation of great conquerors in the name of God who have blitzed through the, the promised land, who have taken possession of all that God laid out for them, and their children and their grandchildren don't know what the Lord, is, who the Lord is. They don't know the Lord at all. Here's the results of that. In Judges chapter 21, near the end of this book, verse 25, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Here's what had happened in the book of Judges, in the time of Judges, in, the time, in, that, in that era. Despite the fact that the people of Israel had come through the wilderness, they had conquered Jericho, they had conquered the Promised Land, they had seen miracle after miracle after miracle, things like the falls of Jericho falling down, things like the sun standing still in the sky so that the people could conquer others who would evade them despite the fact they had seen these incredible things, they didn't pass their faith and the knowledge of God down to their children. So for all the great things this generation did, they didn't do one of the prime things God had told them to do, and that is pass the knowledge of God down to their children and to their grandchildren. And the result was a nation where every individual did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, a people who looked at God and said, I don't know you, I am my own God. And that, folks, is a nation in trouble. So as we come to Mark chapter 10, we understand that the Bible has a lot to say about what we as adults are to be doing in relationship to our children to make sure that there is a generation that follows us that does indeed know the Lord. If there's one thing that should happen from First Baptist London or any other church out there, it should be that the generations are passing the knowledge of the Lord down from one generation to the next. May it never be said that there's a generation that arose in London that did not know the Lord. That would be a tragedy beyond words. How importantly does God take this? Well, I talked about how children are can be a sign of life in the church. They bring growth and energy. It's a, there's a call to the church. There's a call to the people of God to pass down the to pass down the faith. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse seven. We don't have to turn there right now. Says this that you shall teach them that is your children. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and and you shall uh, uh, talk of them. That is the words of God. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, the words of God, for us, the gospel, you talk about it all the time. Talk about it at home. Talk about it at work. Pass it down to your children at mealtime, at bedtime, when you're just hanging out, whatever you're doing. Talk about the Lord. Pass this down. And the purpose is this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 2. So that you and your and your son, your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments. By the way, that says, grandparents, it's not, you aren't retired from passing it down. It's part of your job to, to ensure that not only your children, but your grandchildren know the truths of the Lord. So again, back to Mark chapter ten. We have this mandate from the very beginning of Scripture that we are to be passing down the faith to making sure that those who come behind us don't just know stuff, that they know the Lord. So again, back to Mark chapter 10. So here's our setting. Jesus is teaching. Crowds are gathering as he is on his way to Jerusalem. This is his final journey towards the cross, if you will. And as as it happens, it appears that a bunch of people are flocking around him. And it seems in this particular instance that we have parents, I guess, and grandparents bringing their children. And it's kind of this mom scene. They're all kind of holding their kids up, wanting Jesus to, to touch and to bless them. And the disciples are just thinking to themselves, this is ridiculous. And they start trying to drive these parents and these children away. Now, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We talked about ministry to children. And in chapter 9, Jesus said, held up a child as an example of how we're to come to faith in Christ. And he says that, again, in that day and age, children were considered to be relatively unimportant. They can't do anything for you. We talked about this. Can children make you wealthy? Probably not. Are children going to do anything for you? Probably not. They expect to be served, don't they? They expect you to take care of them. They aren't going to make your name famous. They aren't going to further your resume. They aren't going to get you a better job. That's not what children do. They take up your time. They take up your resources, don't they? It's expensive raising kids, isn't it? Amen. (laughs) And yet, so the the disciples are, are pushing them away, thinking that they're in the way that they are keeping Jesus from doing what he's really there to do, that they're somehow unimportant. And as this happens, Jesus sees this, and I want you to see that word indignant. Let me put that in modern day terms. It ticked him off. Jesus sees these guys, his disciples, whom he's talked to about this already now, pushing these kids away, and it ticks him off. Now, can children sometimes be a little bit disruptive? The answer, of course, is yes. Can they be disruptive when they're five years old? Can they be disruptive when they're 15 years old? Uh-huh. Can they be disruptive when they're 55 years old? Yes, <laughs> yes they can. Children can be disruptive, can't they? They interrupt. They, uh, they get in the way sometimes. They, they, you have something you're trying to do and they, they interfere. They're noisy. At least most of them are. At least I found that to be true in my life. You walk into a room full of teenagers or a room full of 10-year-olds, and they are. uh, We had uh, your second adventure club was this week, wasn't it, Brady? And uh, I just briefly walked into the youth area. They were hanging out there with a movie day. And guess what? The noise level inside that room was higher than outside. Not surprising, is it? Because you had, what, 23 kids in there? They're noisy. Sometimes... Sometimes children do, and probably not really, really on purpose, but sometimes children do things that embarrass you, don't they? they? They embarrass us sometimes. They say things, you're going, oh no. They overheard me say that. <laughs> they say things that em- embarrass us. They, sometimes they don't pay attention. Sometimes they don't listen. So, are our children perfect? Or you? <laughs> are you? I want you to know, I, I know parents, I, let me just say something. I know sometimes parents are lovers about bringing their kids in church because they're afraid they might make a noise. I'm going to tell you right now. Here's my response. So What? Now, I'm not saying I'm necessarily looking forward to, like, 10-year-olds on this side and this side having an echo shouting contest. I'm not saying that. I love the sound of children in worship. And if that means they occasionally distract us, we're adults. Pay attention anyway. If they make a little noise, who cares? It doesn't matter. I can talk louder. That was supposed to be kind of funny right there. I love the sound of children. And if an eight-year-old down the road from you makes a noise, ignore it. It doesn't make it, it sound different. it's not a difference. Who cares? I want you to know, if a child in our worship service, whether they be six, 10, 16, whatever it might be, and I was 16 years old, I don't call children. I know that. I don't care how old they are. Let's say one of them does something a little disruptive. Don't shoot them that mean, dirty, mean look that tells them to shut up. Unless you're mom or dad. You can do that all you want to. You know what? Let's be glad that they're here. I've got a hunch that even when our children are occasionally distracting, even if we think they don't get everything or they're not still enough for our taste, you know what is the most, one of the most precious things we can do? If an eight-year-old walks out of this worship service and they see... Mom and dad, if they see grandma or grandpa, uncle, whoever, uncle, aunt, whatever, and if they walk out of here with nothing other than this, well, whatever took place in there, whatever was said, mom and dad paid attention. It was important to them. I saw mom and dad worshiping. I saw them singing to God with all their breath and all their voice. They took that seriously. I heard them paying attention to what the preacher said. They were, I don't know everything the preacher said, but I saw them writing down notes. So I know it was important to mom. I know it was important to dad. I know it was important to grandma and grandpa. If they walk out of here with nothing other than that, then it has been a successful morning. Our children need to know, our grandchildren need to know that what takes place when God's people come together before the Lord is important. If they walk away here at eight years old, nothing more than that, then they have learned an incredibly valuable lesson. We want children here. We want them in the service. We want them gathering that this is a a huge deal. That doesn't mean that we're worshiping to perform or entertain or to impress somebody. But it does mean that if we take our worship and our relationship to the Lord seriously, we want them to see that. That's part of what it means to be a parent. It's part of what it means to be a grandparent. It's part of what it means to be a church. Because sometimes mom and dad and grandma and grandpa aren't in the worship service. Sometimes there's people they don't know. If they see us take, important, take it as important, it will have an impact. And by the way, never underestimate what a student or what a child gets from worship service. They tend to understand more than we think they do. I remember having this conversation several times through the years. Whether it was dealing with children, whether it was dealing with teenagers. Well they don't they can't catch all these difficult concepts. Do you know what they're learning in school? We got juniors and seniors in high school they're taking classes like AP chemistry, AP biology and AP calculus. If you can understand calculus, you can understand anything that God has in the scriptures, all right? These students, these children are not beyond learning profound truths of scripture. We need them here. We need them in the worship service. The value of teaching and discipling children is an eternal one. We do Vacation Bible School because this is something we believe helps us fulfill the call of God on this church. Because it's vitally important. And it's so important that we can't sit back on the sidelines and say that's someone else's job. It's our job. So this scripture, this passage here, Mark chapter 10, they were bringing children to him. He, they were rebuking them. The disciples were telling them to get out of the way because they thought they were unimportant. They were in the way. They were distracting from Jesus' real mission. They thought. And Jesus, it ticks him off. And he says this again. Permit them to come to me, bring them to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. In fact, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. There are two things in this passage that I want us to understand this morning. First of all, this, as we see that first passage there, where he says, don't hinder them. Children, students, are the church's greatest mission field. Period. Now, I, I love missions. I love going around the world. Our greatest mission is to our children. Secondly, we're going to talk about both these. Children, the presence of children, they are also not only our greatest mission field, I believe they actually may in fact be our greatest teachers in receiving the gospel. Let's look at these two ideas. First of all, what does it mean that children are our greatest mission field? Jesus said to this, do not hinder them, but in fact bring them to him. The kingdom of God belongs to these, these things. How is it that we can find ourselves as a church either hindering or bringing children to the knowledge of the gospel. I want to to give us a few things this morning to think through and to to consider as we think about this. First of all, how is it that we can hinder the gospel? How is it that we might even unintentionally be hindering Jesus or hindering uh, children from coming to Jesus? I want to to throw a few things out there. First of all, we can hinder our children's understanding of the gospel when we approach the Bible and teach our stories, whether it be David and Goliath, or Noah and the Ark, or any of these stories. When we teach these stories as merely moral fables, and by that I mean this, that we're trying to teach our kids simply how to be good. You mean teaching our kids to be good can hinder the gospel? Well, hang in here. I mean this. When we approach the Scriptures and tell them and tell our children that the primary lesson of a passage of Scripture is simply, be good, Yes, we're hindering the gospel. Because what does the Bible say about whether you and I can be good? Can you and I be good in God's eyes? The answer, of course, is no. The Bible says repeatedly that there is none of us who is righteous, not even a single one. So the point of David and Goliath, the point of Jonah, the point of any story of Elijah, the point of any of these stories we might talk about from the Scriptures is not that somebody be good, It is that we can't be good and we need the help of a Savior. So if we approach the Scripture, I'm not saying there's not moral lessons there, but if we approach the Scripture in merely a moral way, it's just teaching us to be good or bad, then we are missing one of the main points of the story. If Jonah is simply treated as a story about, oh, you disobey God, you get in a shipwreck and go get swallowed by a fish, we have missed the point that may be a side issue, it may be true to a certain degree, but those stories are all designed to point to our need for a Savior. So, if I'm not careful, if I turn the Bible into just one big Aesop's Fable moral, moral book, I have hindered the gospel. Secondly, if I imply, and I guess I'm, I'm going to imply this, or I'm going to just talk about this, if I imply that the Bible teaches prosperity gospel. Now, we've we heard that term, and perhaps most of us in this room would say, well, I don't believe in prosperity gospel. Let me, let me give you an illustration. I, it's been a few years now, and I, li- I, liked, I liked it. I enjoyed watching this movie when it first came out, and it's a popular movie. Christian movies can be popular. Y'all remember the movie Facing the Giants? How many, how many of y'all have seen that movie? All right. Hey, man, I cried when the guy called across the football field, too. Man, that was really cool. What was the lesson, if we're not careful, of facing the Giants? What happens to the guy at the end when he gets his life right with God? Everything good happens to him, doesn't it? Once he gets his life right with God, he gets a new truck, his team wins the football state championship. I mean, if it can go good for him, it goes good for him at the end. Let me ask you a question. If I have enough faith, does that guarantee I'm going to get everything I want? See, here's the the problem with somebody facing the Giants. Again, I don't want to bang on the movie too much. But if we're not careful, we get to the idea that, well, if I just believe, if I just do this, if I just do that, then God will give me the state championship. He'll give me my new truck. He'll give me all that I want. And that's just not true. Ask Job. Where's that movie? Sometimes you can be faithful. Sometimes you can be obedient. Sometimes you can do everything you're supposed to do. Ask Joseph what happened. He got put in prison for it. Sometimes you can do everything God wants you to do. Sometimes you can be right with God, and you don't win it all, and you don't get the new truck. You end up driving a 35-year-old beat-up truck. So be careful that we do not preach unintentionally a prosperity gospel. If I just do the right things, if if I just obey, God will bless everything I want to be blessed. That isn't exactly how it works. In fact, what's going to happen is this. When they find out that real life doesn't work that way, that might lead them away from the gospel. Because what happens when, as we like to say it, bad things happen to good people? What happens when the faithful guy doesn't get the new truck and doesn't win at all? Well, if I think that God's supposed to do that, then all of a sudden now I'm down in God. In fact, the truth is, what does it mean to trust God and to have faith even when all those things don't happen? How does God redeem things? How does God sustain us? How does God walk with us in the midst of those things? times of desperation. That is a truth we need to be talking about. So be careful that we aren't hindering children, or hindering ourselves by that matter, for, for unintentionally teaching moral stories or prosperity gospel. Be sure we don't hinder them by treating them and the scriptures as unimportant. Uh, many years ago, at a church I was at, we had a... Uh, we, had, we, we were needing some help at a children's Sunday school class. That was a 4th or 5th grade Sunday school class. And so we had a temporary substitute teacher come in for, uh, it was going to be about 3 or 4 months. And uh, the first Sunday she was to be teaching, she showed up about 5 minutes late. Okay, 5 minutes late the Baptist church was like regular time. sometimes. Well, the next week she showed up 15, 20 minutes late to Sunday school. Third week she showed up a half hour late. Now, i got to admit, at this point, I'm irritated. So, because I have, I have a pastoral social class I'm teaching, and I'm having to go out of my class because I have to wait for this teacher to show up to her, her class. Not just one week, but two weeks, but three weeks in a row. So she came in, and I probably expressed my irritation subtly. <laughs> well, she got all, she got all upset. I we remember talking to her afterwards, I said, she said, well, I just can't get there in time. It's just too early. 9.15 is just too early. And I said, so what, what time do you get to work Monday through Friday? Because I knew she, was a, she worked in the cafeteria at the high school. So what time do you get there in the morning? She said, well, I get there at 6:30, six six 15. So I said, you can sleep in three hours and still get there on time. I said, why do you get to work at 6.15? She said, well, they'll fire me if I don't. Oh, so it's important, huh? But, but you can't. So you know what you just told these kids here? You just told these kids that, one, what takes place in the Sunday school room is not that important. You told them that they aren't that important. Now, you didn't mean to, but that's what you told them. All I'm asking is don't do that anymore. Well, she got mad and quit teaching Sunday school. We have to be careful that in our actions we don't treat children and the gospel and God as unimportant. Now, that was kind of an obvious one, but there are things that you and I can do on a daily basis, as parents, grandparents, as just church members, as adults, that if we're not careful, tell others and tell our children and tell students that what takes place here is not important. When we tell them that other things are worth canceling church for, ah, we'll just do this, we'll just do that. When we tell them by our actions and behaviors that things are less or the other things are more important than the worship of God, we are hindering the gospel. Now, let me say something that's going to seem counterintuitive to what I just said. We can hinder the gospel when we idolize children. And what I mean by that is this. When we tell them by our behavior and by their behavior that the world revolves around them. That their schedule is the, is the end-all, be-all of anything. That nothing else matters. As long as they get what they want, that's what matters. Now, we want to love our children. We want to place importance on their lives. I'm not saying we don't. But if we communicate to them that God is here to serve their needs and not them here to serve God, then we have hindered the gospel. Because God does not come to us and tell us as a fairy godfather, if you will, whatever you want, I'm here to make your wishes come true. That's not what God's about. God has told us that the issue is that we're the ones who are wrong, we're the ones who have sinned, we're the ones who have rebelled, and we need to come before Him and serve Him, and get right with Him, and apologize, and repent before Him, not the other way around. Sometimes we hinder the gospel by simply not talking about it. That seems pretty self-explanatory. So if we're not careful, we can hinder the gospel in ways that we might not even realize that we're doing it. We might be hindering the gospel by teaching the Bible simply as a moral fable. We might be hindering the gospel by teaching a prosperity gospel. We might be hindering the gospel by by giving them an improper view of scripture by ignoring them and telling them they're unimportant or that they're too important we might be hindering the gospel simply by not talking about it now that's a little depressing how can we bring them to the gospel how do we bring them to Jesus let me suggest a couple things. We go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It talked about talking about the scriptures, talking about God's word to them constantly. Let me share with you the first and foremost way to, to bring children to Jesus it is to read and to talk about the scriptures constantly. At home, at night, in the morning, as you walk by uh, somewhere, as you, as you drive by, whatever, there are going to be always opportunities to talk about things related to scripture. Our children, our students, need to understand that the Bible is not something that only applies on Sunday or on Wednesday night. That what you do on Monday as far as how you interact with a boss or how you handle your financial decisions or how you, if you're a teenager, how you handle dating. That the Bible has things to say about all those stuff, all that stuff and that Obeying and honoring the Lord has everything to do with the Scripture day in and day out, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not just Sunday. So talk about the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures. Talk about the Gospel. Bring it up all the time. It can't be too much. And then connect those Scriptures to Jesus. Let's say I read the story of Noah and the ark cool story big flood big boat all these things what's the point of the story of Noah what's it symbolizing what's it talking about where is salvation found in the story of Noah it's found in the ark isn't it the ones who are saved are rescued by being brought into the ark in fact they all get inside who shuts the door Can Noah shut the door? What happens if you have a big boat and everyone's inside of it and the side door is wide open? What happens to that boat? It sinks, doesn't it? What happens, you know, God gave Noah very specific instructions about the type of wood and how to seal up all the leaks. What if Noah says, I don't think I want to use that pitch. I think I want to use something over here. I'll use my own sealant. What happens in that case? It sinks. In other words, What the story of Noah is telling us is that God has provided for our salvation. It's exclusive. Did anybody else have a boat? Or there's only one boat, right? And only those who have their faith in God in that boat are the ones that survived. You know what that's telling us? That's connecting that to Christ. There's only salvation in Christ. Only those who have come to faith in Christ. And only God does the rescuing. So we connect scriptures to Christ. We let them know that we, you and I, are here not for God to serve us, but for us to serve God. God's life does not revolve around you and I, our life revolves around Him. So as we approach Scripture, we can ask, as we approach the Gospel, we can ask, what does this passage teach about God? What does it teach me about who I am before God? What does this passage teach me about the need of a Savior? And what you'll find is that all the Old Testament makes sense that way. Because it's all pointing to Christ. Let me suggest another one. Reading scripture, talking about it, leading to prayer. Mom and dad, pray for your kids. Pray Pray for your grandkids. Pray for your nieces and nephews. Pray for children you don't know. Pray. Let scripture lead us to prayer. The teaching of children, whether it be through vacation Bible school or whether it be through the weekly in and out of Sunday school, is a direct response. It's a direct act of obedience to the vision that God's given us as the people of God. By the way, if you are teaching vacation Bible school, or if you are involved in vacation Bible school this week, would you would you stand up, please? If you're involved in VBS this week, would you please stand up? All right, cool. These are people who are obeying God to teach and to pass the faith out from one generation to the next. Amen? Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Is that right? If you're one of our children or youth Sunday school teachers, would you please stand up? Nursery, too. That's nursery. All right. Know what they're doing? They're being obedient. To the vision that God has given, given us as a, as, as a church. Amen? Let them know you appreciate that. Jesus says to us, do not hinder them. Now, I mentioned children is our greatest mission field. One more quick thing here he says. He says there in verse 14, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. We need children around because they are also our greatest teachers. What does a child have to teach us about what it means to come to Christ? A child recognizes in this life that they are dependent. The average six-year-old is not in the kitchen cooking up a roast. (laughs) The average eight-year-old is not at home making their food because they are dependent upon someone else their survival is dependent upon somebody else. Whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, they need others. And for the most part, they realize that. A child, for the most part, understands that they probably don't have the ability to survive on their own. They have to trust other people. When I come to Christ, when I come to the Lord, I have to understand And we're going to see this in the next passage of Scripture, by the way. Jesus is going to give us an illustration of this in the following verses of this chapter. When I come to Christ as an adult, I understand that I come to the Lord not with a resume that tells Him how good I am, not with a a, a bunch of qualifications that tells Him how deserving I am of His love. I don't come to God with all these things that says, look what I did. I've got 50 years of teaching this. I've got 50 years of tithing. or I've got 50 years of service. That doesn't mean anything. The only way I enter into the kingdom of God is if I say to Him, "I got nothing." If God, you don't save me, I've got nothing. I got no resume. I got no hope. I've got no qualifications. I have nothing. I tried to be good, but I realize I'm not good enough. If I want to enter into the kingdom of God, I begin by acknowledging my absolute dependence. I cannot and will never be able to do it on my own. And secondly, if I am dependent upon someone else for my salvation, if I cannot earn anything, then I have to trust someone else's work. And that trust is upon Christ. You see, in looking at the life of a child, I actually get a lesson in how I am to come to Christ. Because the truth is, before Him, I am a child. So children are both our greatest mission field and our greatest teachers. I didn't necessarily plan this out two months ago. It just so happens this was the sermon for the week of Vacation Bible School. We have before us a week, but not just one week, we have before us a week-in and a week-out call a church. to bring children to the gospel, to bring them to Christ. And while there are those who are on the front lines, so to speak, the teachers, for example, Brady is our children's director. It is not only their task. There is no such thing as retirement, by the way, in the kingdom of God. May no one ever say these words, I've done my bit and I'm done. If you've said those words, go back and pray because you have just made a mistake. Doesn't mean everyone's a teacher. Doesn't mean everyone's doing vacation Bible school. But never say the words, I'm retired. You won't find retirement in the scripture anywhere. It is our role as a church to make sure that what took place in Judges never happens. We want a generation that comes after us that knows the Lord.